last week we spoke about not giving up from Hebrews 10, um, and, uh, and, and we said that we're ones who, in the good news about who Jesus is, find the ability to press on. We find the ability to keep moving forward. We find the ability to encourage others, and as the Scriptures say, to not shrink back. We are not those who shrink back. So we finished in Hebrews 10, 39, and I'm just going to read that for you. If you weren't here with us last Sunday, uh, as we spoke about consider Jesus and do not give up, uh, we, went, we ended off Hebrews 10, 39, for those of you that had your, have your Bibles. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We're not the ones that shrink back. We're not the ones who shrink back. We're not the ones who give up at the sight of trouble. We're not the ones who walk away when things get tough. But we are those who have faith. We are the ones who have faith. And there's a secret to not shrinking back, and that's having faith. We don't focus on not shrinking back. We just have faith, and we won't shrink back. We just keep our eyes on Jesus, and nothing will get us to shrink back. We just, we just keep believing in the goodness of God, and we will not give up. You will find a strength and a resolve within you to keep going no matter what. Oftentimes people say to me, if that happened to me, I don't know how I would go on. If I had to face that kind of a situation, I don't know how I would make it. People often say, I wouldn't want to live if that happened. We can't imagine that we would have the strength to get through something that difficult. And we imagine these kind of setups or these scenarios and we think to ourselves, if that happened to me, I would be finished. And we would be if it was just up to us. But the truth of the gospel is, is that God is with us. And when we put our faith in Him, we are able to overcome all things. The Bible says in Him we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We have victory in Christ. We have strength. We have this grace to keep going. And so the, the secret to not shrinking back is to keep believing. Now, when you hear messages like this, it sounds a lot like what you would hear, again, um, from other sectors of society and, and, and self-help books and kind of motivational talks. You know, I had a guy sit, I remember driving off the youth one night and I was uh, in a van and uh, dropping a couple of kids off. And the one guy said to me, you know what, I want to be a motivational speaker. And, uh, and that's great, but I kind of had an, you know, there's this kind of conflict to a certain extent between being a motivational speaker and being a preacher of the gospel. And I said to him, you know what I am? I'm a demotivational speaker because <laughs> I want to, get you to not be motivated in your own strength. So I'm going to first of all tell you, you can't do it. Very demotivating. But then I'm going to tell you that if you believe in Jesus, you will by His grace be able to do far more than you could have done no matter how motivated you ever were. So I'm not a motivational speaker just here to kind of get your hopes up a little bit or give you a pep talk so that you feel more encouraged for the week. I'm a preacher of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and who He is and what He has come to do in your life. And that is the message. That is the hope that we have. Um, and, and that is what I want to encourage you. So this is not just keep believing. You know, people say, well, keep believing. Keep the faith. Keep believing. That doesn't just mean keep believing in something random. Like don't let go of your dreams. Like keep believing in your dreams. Keep believing in your future. Keep believing in those things. Um, you know that song, don't stop believing. People think if I can sing that song to myself, I'll keep going. No, you won't. You'll stop singing that song. Some of you are like, we're glad that you stopped, Adrian. But you'll stop singing that song because we know it's not just faith in itself. When the Bible says that by faith we're able to do all things, it's not faith in faith. Does that make sense? 
We don't believe in believing. We believe in the object of our belief. We don't just have faith in faith. We have faith in the object of our faith, the one in whom we believe. And that's Jesus. And so we saw in Hebrews 10 verse 19, the reason, the source of our faith and our hope is this big therefore that we have in Hebrews 10 19. And we looked at it last week, but it says in Hebrews 10 19, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. In other words, the reason why we can have this hope and this perseverance and this strength and this ability to continue on no matter what happens is because Jesus has united us with the Father. He's forgiven us. He set us free. He's given us new life, and He has filled us with His Holy Spirit. That's where our hope is. That's where our faith is. In other words, our faith is in what Jesus has done for us, not in what we can do for ourselves, not in just believing. It's not just believing like a pipe dream. It's belief in something solid, something real, a real event that happened when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. That's our faith. That's where our hope finds its source. That's our anchor. In other words, the reason we don't shrink back is because we know that there is nothing that stands between us and God. Do you recognize that this morning? Do you realize that this morning? Even though you feel inadequate, even though you feel like your life doesn't measure up, even though you know you've made mistakes and you haven't always done what God has called you to do, do you recognize this morning that there is nothing because of the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus that stands between you and Him? Jesus is your new and living way into the presence of the Father. And that's where we live. We've got a sign up there outside that says, this is home. But the reason why this is home is because we're in the presence of our Father. This is where our Father is, not in this building, but in this community. He's with us. And so this is where we belong. And we don't just enter into His presence, like some churches would say, let's enter into His presence. We live in His presence. We have, we have taken up residency in His throne room, and He has taken residency up in, in this temple called our body. We host, as believers, the presence of the Almighty God within our own spirits. And so that means that God is for us. God is for you. I gotta, I gotta stand up. I gotta you get this. God is for you this morning. For every one of you. He doesn't have favorites. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't say, well, this one, you know, is better looking than this one, or this one has tried harder than that one, or this one comes from a better background, or this one is of a different race, or this one speaks the language I like. He doesn't care about those things. He's not a respecter of those things. He is for you. Every one of us, equally, as committed as only God can be, that's how he feels about your life. So that's why we don't give up. That's why Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, what shall we say to these things? And when he speaks about these things, he speaks about the tribulations, the troubles, the persecution, the suffering, the hardships that we go through in life. What shall we say to these things? How shall we respond when we face difficulty? The answer, if God is for us, which we know that he is, who can be against us? If God is for you this morning, who can be against you? Who can be against you? Who can overcome you? Who can, who can destroy your life? There is no one that can touch your life or overcome you or destroy you because God is for you. And I remember as a child, this was a revelation to me. 
I got this, this understanding uh, maybe around six or seven years old that God had a plan for my life. Do you know that God has a plan for yours? He has a plan for your life. And, and all of a sudden, I had this sense of invincibility that came over me at, at that young age. And I remember being in the Drakensberg Mountains with my family, and uh, we were driving. Uh, we had this real family kind of SUV kind of car, and uh, we were driving up one of these mountain passes in the Drakensberg, and it was getting pretty high as we were going up. And you know when you get one of these mountain passes with a steep cliff down the one side, and if you look out the window, you actually don't even see the road. You just kind of see the side of the mountain going down. And I was looking down, and I remember sitting out and looking at some of the mountain peaks in the Drakensberg region and thinking to myself, you know what, I can go and skip on those mountains. I had this picture, and I remember it as clear as day as a young boy going, I can go and run on the top of that mountain because God won't let me fall because he has a plan for my life. So I won't die until God has completed his plan for my life. And I just felt this, this sense of, you know, God is with me. And I was reminded of that again this last week. I was looking at, at, at some cars and I wanted to go and, and see a car in downtown Joburg, uh, down near Jeppe's town and near, near the Troyville Hotel. And I went down there and I got out of the car and there, were, there was a bunch of really sketchy looking guys looking at me uh, from the corner of the street. And I was just, remi- I just reminded myself of the moment, you know what, God has a plan for my life. <laughs> I'm not going to die today in Jeppe town, right? But it's... It's something that we need to remind ourselves of. God is with you. God is with you. He's got a plan for your life. And you know what? When it is my day to die, I'll just be with Jesus. In fact, Paul gets to a point where he's like, I I long for it. I long to go and be with Jesus, but I know that God still has use of me here. So I will stay, and while I'm here, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So I'll stay so that I can encourage you, but if it's up to me, I'll just go home to be with Jesus. And so there's no fear anymore. We walk fearlessly, and that really has been the way that I've lived my life since I had that revelation as a young boy that God is with me, so let's do this. We can run on mountaintops. We can skip on mountaintops. We can walk through Jeppe Town because God is with us. I'm not saying don't be wise and don't lock your car doors and those kinds of things. We do live in Joburg, so be smart, but our faith is not in a lock on a door. How many of you worry about your family when they go to work or to school? I hope my kids will be, today, be okay today. Literally on Friday, I went to, uh, to pick up Eli from school. He has golf on a Friday, and I went to, I take his clubs, and I watch his golf with him there at school. He does a, a lesson, and uh, as I arrived, two cars in front of me, um, they, they hijacked that person. Just a car stopped, three guys with guns, took the car and drove away. Fortunately, no shots were fired, and nobody was hurt, but you get that close, and, and, and you, can, you can be overcome um, by fear. We can worry all the time. But we are not those who give up. We are not those who fear. We are not those who shrink back because we know that God is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? How many countless testimonies have we heard of people that God delivered in moments such as those? So even though we live here in Joburg, we pioneer for hope in this city. And we hope that by the influence of this church and other churches in this city, we can see our crime rate go down. We can see poverty eradicated so that people don't have to steal and instead they can find a job and work for a living. We can, we can be a part of the solution in the city. And so even though we face very real uh, a danger here in the city of Joburg, we're not those who give up. We're not those who walk away. No matter what setback we face, we know that God is for us, so who can be against us? We're upheld by a power greater than every other power in existence. And this is so important for us to know. God is the one who upholds us. 
we are not the one who upholds God. Some people think that, uh, you know, they're they worried about their, their relationship with God because they say, I, I don't want to let God down. Can I tell you something? You can't let God down because you're not the one holding him up. He's the one who never lets us down. He's the one who remains faithful no matter what. We need to realize that the real focus on, of, of our faith is on the faithfulness of God because that's where our strength and our perseverance stems from. So the writer of Hebrews continues to expand on this. He talks about we are not those who shrink back, but we are the ones who have faith. And then in Hebrews 11, he begins to talk about what that faith looks like. And that's what we're going to talk about today in this message called Consider Jesus and Believe. He, he, he starts to expand on the quality of faith and the reality of faith and the miracle of faith and, and how for us as believers, people, believers, we are people who believe, we are people with faith. It's not just something that we have. I want you to know that your faith isn't something that you stick on or, a, or just a jacket that you wear or, or something that's external to you. It's actually something that starts as a seed that's embedded in your heart, like a little bit of yeast that's added to, some, to, to a whole quart of dough, as the Bible speaks about it. And that yeast begins to work its way through that entire lump of dough. That seed begins to take roots within that ground, and eventually it changes uh, structurally the, the, the molecular structure and composition of that dough itself, of the ground. In other words, we become faith more than just having faith. It's not just something that we conjure up. Some people, when they face difficulty, they go, okay, have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. It doesn't work that way. It starts with a seed planted in your heart. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? That's the seed. And all of a sudden, that same seed, not a different seed, not something you stick on in times of need. Not a spare tire you take out of the boot when you have a, a flat one or a trouble in your life. But something that grows and changes who you are from the inside out so that you are a person of faith. You know what's amazing when it gets to that point? You can't help but have faith. It's who you are. It's who God made you to be. And this was the miracle that happened in my life when I uh, began to understand the gospel was that faith wasn't a works program. It wasn't something I was trying to, you know, like a hamster wheel. For a lot of people, their faith is like a hamster wheel. They just, okay, I need some faith, so I'm gonna just get on this wheel, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna run. I hope I don't get tired, I hope I can do this. I hope I'll have faith. That's not what it looks like. To me, no matter what happens in my life, and I can promise you this, no matter what happens in my life, I never, ever, ever doubt God's love for me anymore. Maybe in, in the past, maybe at times in the past, but no longer. I don't even struggle with the question why so much anymore. I don't need to know why anymore. I just trust God. I trust Him. And I know that whatever's happening right now, the best is yet to come. That's the, that's the quality of faith. The quality of faith is that it unites you and your identity with what you are believing. That's why faith is so, so powerful. It unites you to the one in whom you believe. And when we unite ourselves with God through our faith in Jesus, we become something brand new. That seed takes root, and, and your entire life orientation, your worldview, your sense of self-awareness, it all changes in an instant and over time. There's a progression there, this knowledge that God is with us, and so I cannot lose. I cannot overcome. I was inspired by uh, Pastor Wendell Smith, who started the City Church 
in Seattle because I watched some sermons that he preached right at the end of his life. In fact, the last sermon he gave was two weeks before he passed away of cancer um, in his 60s. And um, I watched him uh, just with courage and with faith, um, sitting in a chair, uh, frail, not able to, to get up and walk around. But, uh, but every time he thinks about how Jesus called him to start the church that he was leading, um, he would just burst out laughing. He, he, he would just burst out into laughter. He, he, it was such a sweet and sincere thought. And, and he said to the church, and I'll never forget this, he said to the church, you know, what we, you know what we know? You know what I've said to this church for 30 years? Every single Sunday before church starts, every Sunday I tell them, no matter what happens today, we win. No matter what happens, we win. As Christians, there's nothing we can do but win. Even when we lose, it's just God setting us up for a greater victory. It's just a temporary loss. Like the Springboks, we will come back. We will be better. We will be stronger. And so we can face temporary setbacks with courage, with joy even, because we know that there's something better that lies ahead. We cannot lose. And, uh, and that's the way that we orientate our lives. We then are not just people who have faith, but people who live but by nothing else but faith. That's what Romans 1.17 and a couple of other scriptures say this or refer to this. Romans 1.17 says, the righteous, the people that have been made right with God, they shall live by faith. It's not just something we have in a time of crisis. We live by it, not by sight, as we saw last week in Hebrews 10. We live by faith and not by sight. Not in what we can see, not in our circumstances. We're not limited in any way. We only believe in Jesus and who he is. And that's just our bread and butter. So I hope you understand this morning that, that the saving faith that we have when we put our, our faith in Jesus is not just for a moment. Saving faith is not just for a moment. It doesn't just save you in a moment, but it changes you over time. It's still the same faith. It's not something different. Because oftentimes when people read Romans 11, they think that Romans 11 is the kind of faith that we're supposed to stick on additionally to our saving faith. And I want to tell you today that it springs from the same well. It's the same fountain. It's the same source. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins on the cross? Yes. Now let that faith grow in your life. And if you believe in God for breakthrough, if you believe in God for your family, if you believe in God for your career, if you believe in God for your future, it's the same faith. It's not a different faith. It's not a different type of faith. It's the same thing. So belief in Jesus is not just for a moment, but it is a journey of pressing on. A journey of pressing on. John Piper puts it this way. He says, the evidence of authentic saving faith is pressing on. Faith that saves from destruction, as we see in Hebrews 10, 39, is faith that lives day by day. It's a daily faith that continues to grow in every moment. In other words, when you've really come to believe in Jesus with all your heart, you'll just never give up. You'll just never give up. And as a result, he won't just save you in a moment, but he'll keep saving you in every moment. It's not just something that Jesus puts on hold for heaven. Oh, I'm saved. That's great. So I can go to heaven one day. It's something that he does in every moment in your life. Do you know that you're saved in every moment, in every situation? You are God's child. In every moment and in every instance and in every circumstance, he is busy working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He is leading you deeper into his grace and purpose every day. And that's the reality of faith, the kind of life that it produces. So it's a full orientation. You know, when I realized this, even my prayer life changed. Because I used to approach 
prayer life like something I had to do in order to please God. And so when I would sit down to pray, it would be a very structured thing, and I would pray, and I still do that. I still have my structured times of prayer and all the rest. But you know what happened when I realized that God was with me in every moment? I would start praying even when I haven't planned to pray. I'd start praying even when I'm not thinking about praying because I'm just in constant communication with God. He's with me. I don't need to approach him formally with a protocol and, and with all kinds of regalia and, and, and all kinds of, of systems and structures. I just go, hey, God, you know, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. He is my constant companion through the Holy Spirit. So your prayer life changes. It's not just something that becomes, that's religious, but it's a day-to-day kind of thing. And so Hebrews 11 verse 1 defines this kind of faith for us. And in 11 verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You've heard this before. This is one of those scriptures we hear um, quite often uh, if you've been a Christian for some time. Uh, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the definition of faith. That's one of those scriptures that most of us are taught early on as Christians, and it's often misunderstood and misused. People turn this into a bit of a formula that they can work apart from Jesus. They remove it from our dependence upon Jesus, from our saving faith in Jesus. And so once again, I want to I say this, that our faith is not in faith, but in the object of our faith in Jesus. Some Christians get really weird with, those, with this scripture. I don't know if you've, if you've seen them, but, but they'll say, you know what, I'm, I believe in Jesus. I don't know why I put on that accent, but I believe in Jesus for a BMW, all right? So like, they want a BMW, so now I'm going to have faith. I'm going to stick my faith on because I want a BMW. And so they go and they build a new garage because the BMW needs a place to sleep. It's definitely not staying under the shade net. So I'm getting a garage built. That's faith. And then I'm going to join the BMW Club of South Africa, even though I don't have it yet because I'm walking by faith. And then they get a little BMW key ring because I'm going to have my BMW. And then when they see a BMW on the street, you know, they go and stand by it, and they pose by it, and they're like, you know, you know, fake it till you make it, or whatever, faith, or what, you know, like, this is my faith, this is going to be mine, it's not mine yet, but it will be soon, and then people are like, oh, do you, do you, do you have a BMW? I see all this stuff, do you have a BMW? And they're like, no, but faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, and that's the way that they, that they try and work it, and, and they'll say, my BMW is just around the corner, any minute now, it's going to be coming around the corner, any minute now, it's white, it's got black rims, it's any minute now, I'm going to see my BMW, and they, they think that if they can, they can visualize the BMW, that they're going to have one. That's not what the Scripture is saying. Hey, there's nothing wrong with trusting God for things that you need, but the Scripture is so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than a, a, uh, a name it or, and claim it kind of formula that doesn't say, God, I want what's best for my life. I can make my requests known to God, the scripture says, without any fear or worry. If I want a BMW, I can ask God, but I also have to understand that God can say, no, that's not for you right now. You know why? Because he's a father and he knows best. Here on Father's Day, we can remind it that he is a father, the father with all wisdom and all knowledge, and he knows best. And so some people say, well, I don't have my BMW yet because I don't have enough faith yet. It's not true. It might just be because God said no. He doesn't want you to have that one right now. I remember a group of Christians that were praying over property that they believe God had given to them. Have you ever heard the Christians that we're going to go walk on the property, we're going to go trespass on that property? Because every single place that our foot shall tread, the Lord shall give it unto us. Kind of talking about Israel, but, you know, let's use it. And so they go out and they claim it. And I know of a group of Christians that went out and claimed a piece of property for their church 
And they were like, this is the one, Lord. We claim it. And then they found out that the city had plans to build a new road right through that property. And they're like, okay, God, cancel, cancel. We claimed it. Can we unclaim it? Can we retract the footprints? Imagine if God had given them what they wanted. They would have lost that land. So sometimes we just have to trust that God knows better. I heard the story about a woman that was uh, struggling to fall pregnant, and, and, uh, and this really happened here in South Africa. Went to a pastor and said to the pastor, uh, and to, this guy had a prophetic gift and said, I'm praying that God will help me to fall pregnant. And, um, and so, you know, she, she went up and, and the pastor prophesied over her and said, uh, nine months from now, you will stand here and you will present a baby to the Lord. It kind of happened with uh, Eli in the Bible and Samuel and, and, and all the rest. So, so they kind of, he'd used that scripture. Nine months from now, you will present a child to the Lord. And then somebody whispered in the pastor's ear that her husband was actually off in the army uh, for another six months. And she was, oh Lord, cancel, cancel. <laughs> Let's not present a child nine months. Let's make it 18. So aren't you glad that sometimes God doesn't give you what you asked for? Because he knows better than us. And so this is not the kind of name it, claim it kind of faith that it's talking about. That's not what it talks about when it speaks about the substance of faith. Faith is not about claiming something that you want as much as it is about trust. Somebody once asked me the question, can you define the word faith and the word trust differently? Can you tell me the difference between faith and trust? And I'm telling you, I thought about that question for about a year and I honestly could not find one specific situation where those two things would be separated. Ultimately, faith and trust is synonymous. Faith is just trust in something that you cannot see physically. But it's still just trust. So the question is, not can you claim something and see your BMW and claim your land and walk on you, but can you trust that God is good and has good things for you? Can you believe that he is good and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's faith. That's what real faith looks like. It's a gut-level, instinctive, true-to-the-bone trust in a God who doesn't always do what you want him to, but always does what he promised to. Always acts, acts consistently with his own character. That's so important for us to know. As a young boy... Eli had this, um, I, I did this when he was not even two years old yet, I, maybe a little bit irresponsible, but since it's Father's Day, this is the kind of thing that dad do. I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures when it's like when, when a baby's with, with mom and then the baby's all, you know, cuddled nicely in the cot with a, with a dummy and a, and a heater and a teddy, and then when the baby's with dad and dad's like squashing the baby's face or, you know, hanging it upside down or whatever. Like, so I was one of those dads with my boys, and, uh, and so Eli, when he was really little, I'd put him on top of a filing cabinet or at home on top of our bookshelf, and, just, and he wouldn't even, I mean, he was fearless. He would just jump, right? Now he still sometimes does it, but he weighs like 50 kilograms, but, uh, which, is, which is worrying, um, but, but he, would, he would just jump, and it came to a point where he so just believed that no matter what, I would catch him, that he would jump, even if I wasn't looking. And I'd just see a shadow moving from the right, you know, with, with velocity, and I would just have to kind of quickly react and catch him. And, you know, I walk into a room, I walk into the kitchen, and all of a sudden there's, there's something jumping out of me, and it's Eli leaping off a counter. Because he just trusted that his dad would never drop him. That his dad would never let him go. That his, that his dad would always be there to catch him. And, and that's true of our Father in heaven. So the truth is, 
If you don't trust that God will catch you, then you won't be able to live by faith. Because living by faith means that you can't see, you don't have the result. It's got a future element to it. You, you haven't got the resolution yet. There's no guarantee in the reality yet. There's only the promise that He will catch you, no matter what. You know, it's that promise and the faithfulness of God that sustains us. When you're leaping through the air and you're wondering, am I going to fall to the ground? It's the faithfulness of God that goes, no, I'll be fine. Just like Eli, when he leapt off the counter, I'll be fine. My dad will catch me. And that's the father that we have in heaven. That's why our faith is not in things or in our own faith, but in God, in his character and person, in Jesus and what he did for us. So we consider him and we believe. We consider Jesus, his faithfulness. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. And on the basis of that, we completely believe. The next verse in Hebrews, or sorry, in, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You see, if you want to grow in your faith, don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus. He is the one who, who establishes our faith, who, who, who is the foundation of our faith, but also the one who perfects your faith. So you can't be perfected in your own strength. You can only be perfected as you continue to trust in Jesus. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, by our belief, we understand that this universe that exists was created as God spoke it, as a supernatural act of His will uh, and His power, so that what is seen today, everything that we see here, did not come from things that are physical, but that was made out of things that were invisible. Not out of the visible, but out of invisible. So by faith, what this really shows us is that by faith, we understand the true nature of things. We understand why this world exists and how this world exists. That life and this world and all of creation is not some accident or some random occurrence but the result of a supernatural act of God who designed and ordained all of it according to His purpose. And once you step into the life of faith, you realize that everything that you see comes from the unseen. So it changes the way that, that you live. Believing in the unseen becomes easy then. In fact, in some instances, easier than believing in what is seen. Because we see circumstances every day. And, and, and we see how easily we can be deceived, how easily our senses can be perceived, and how, how easily we can, we can misunderstand even the physical realities around us. But in Christ, we have something more solid than the physical reality, something more consistent than all the change that constantly happens around us. By faith, even though we know our senses can be deceived in this world, we have an immovable foundation of existence. We know where we come from. We know who we belong to, and we know that God's heart is for us, and it doesn't change. Everything else in this world will change, but not that. That remains the same. God's love for you. Hebrews 11.4 then says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. There's an everlasting life. God was able to accept him and accept his sacrifice. And I'm going to connect that to Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, which I don't have on the screen. But it says this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
How is God able to accept us into his fold and give us everlasting life? It's by grace and through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. Now, I love the story of Cain and Abel. We know that it has a tragic end, and we know that there was sin that came in um, to Cain's life. Um, and, um, and, and I know that I, and when I was younger, I used to get confused about who killed who. Was it Cain who killed Abel or Abel who killed Cain? And then somebody told me a joke um, saying, did you know that Abel was an alcoholic? Um, and I said, no, and they said, because he was killed by Cain. And so <laughs> since they said that, since they said that, I've never forgotten it again. Um, so, so Genesis 4.2, and I'm just going to quickly show you something here. Genesis 4.2 says, now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. He worked in the soil. The part of the, the curse that came upon humanity after the fall of man was that we would have to work and toil the ground in order to eat. And so um, he was the one who worked in that cursed soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So he worked hard, he toiled, he did his job, and then it produced fruit, and then he took that fruit and he presented it to God. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from, of some, from some of the firstborn of his flock. So he just took some of the lamb. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Some scriptures say he, did not, he could not respect it. So Cain was very angry and his face was, was downcast. And Hebrews 11 here brings clarity to that story. And what it tells us is why God was able to accept Abel's offering and not Cain's. And it's quite simple. When Abel approached God, he had faith. Faith is accredited to us as righteousness. It's always only been faith and not the works of our own toil and the law. And so he comes, he goes, I, I, didn't, I didn't produce this lamb. I, all I did was, here it is, you know, nature kind of took care of itself and there's another little lamb. And, and you know what, I want to offer an, a, a sacrifice to God and an offering before God, but I know who he is. I know he's a good God. I know his heart. And so I'm going to take this lamb, the firstborn, which is a picture of Jesus the grace of God. I'm going to take this lamb, I'm going to offer it because I believe in who God is. And so he does that. Cain, on the other hand, works the soil. He works for it. And then he takes the fruit of his own labor and he puts it down before God and he says, look at it, God. Look at what I have produced. Look at what I've done. Look at how hard I've worked. My brother just stood over there. He was lying in the grass while the sheep were doing their thing and he just brought a lamb. But I worked for this. And so he brings the works of the law the works of his own hand, his own sacrifice, and he puts it before God and he says, God, respect my offering. And God says, I cannot respect your offering. Our offerings are, are sinful. We are sinful people. The flesh, there's nothing that we can offer God in our flesh. But when we just accept his grace, we are acceptable on that basis. And we accept it through faith. So Cain brings the work of his own hands and wants to be saved by his own works, but Abel just brings a lamb as an offering and believed in the goodness of God without the need to supplement his faith with self-effort, which was a symbol of Jesus and what Jesus would do. And so the, the, um, that's why the next verse in Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, no matter how hard you work and try and, and toil and, 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 and follow the law, for whoever would draw near to God. If you want to draw near to God, this is how you should do it. Number one, you must believe that He exists. 
but not just that, and that he rewards those, that he's a rewarder, that he's good, that he rewards those who seek him. You see, that's the only way we can please God. Somebody once said, if you want to please God, believe God. It's the only way we can be pleasing to him. There's nothing we can offer in our flesh like Cain did. We offer only our faith and say, God, we believe in you. We believe that you are good. And so we are not approaching you on self, some self-made religious concept of God where we cannot connect to his heart and life. But we trust in this goodness of our God. So what's the result of this? The result is we develop supernatural trust. If you believe in God, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, we also know that we can trust him for supernatural results, for incredible acts. What happens in our life is we become obedient, and we walk with him, and we trust him, and there's an external result to our internal belief, like Eli leaping off the counter. There's, a, there's an action that takes place because we believe. And, and so the rest of Hebrews 11 gives us examples of this. And I'm going to read through quickly. It says, By faith Noah constructed the ark in obedience before it had rained. It hadn't even rained on the earth at that point yet. Nobody had seen rain. And so Noah goes, no, guys, it's going to rain. Water's going to fall from the sky. They're like, you have got to be kidding me. And he just builds an ark in the middle of the Middle East. And uh, like, we haven't, there's never been rain. But he did it by faith. By faith, Abraham left his home, not knowing where he was going, but believing in a city whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah received the power to conceive, even though she was past childbearing age, so that the promise of God would come to pass. These people, it goes on to explain their proof, by their faith that this earth is not their home. This earth is not their home. They will not settle for this earth's best when God has heaven's best as their promised inheritance. They would leave their comforts. Abraham would walk away from his home because I believe God has got better for me. Noah would, would walk away from his comfort and even his, his uh, reputation within society to do something crazy. Why? Because God had promised. So faith has this character of believing for something better ahead. What God has for us that lies a heavenly reward and inheritance it's not playing it safe, but it's a reckless abandon to the arms of God. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews continues. He says, by faith, Abraham was willing to offer Isaac in obedience, knowing that God could raise him from the dead. By faith, Moses refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. Again, walking away from his comfort in, in Pharaoh's house, refused to choose comfort over purpose and refused to be afraid of Pharaoh. And instead, on the order of God and the instruction of God, led the people of Israel out of Egypt walking through the Red Sea. And see, again, that speaks about us leaving our comforts behind in order to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Are we willing to do that? Do we have faith? That's the result of trusting God. You're like, oh God, I want to set up my life like this. I've got a vision for my life. I've got a dream for my life. It looks like this. I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to invest it here and I'm going to get a holiday home down at the coast and I'm going to do all these nice things. I'm going to drive a nice car. And then God goes, will you abandon all of that to follow the call that I have on your life? And like all of these, when we trust in God, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What do you want? I'm doing it because I trust. That's faith. It's the same trust that got you saved. And then finally, another effect of faith is that we begin to witness the miraculous works of God. Miraculous works of deliverance and provision as God gets involved with our lives. As we believe in Him, He inter interrupts the natural cause of life to do something above the natural, which is where the word supernatural comes from. 
to heal and to deliver and to help and to change. And he mentions this from Hebrews 11, 29 onwards. These are all the effects of just trusting in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. He says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, her life was miraculously preserved because she believed and welcomed the spies. These are the miracles that we experience. And for us as Christians, miracles are normal. Because everything that exists comes out of that which is unseen. So seeing or believing in something to come about, from, from, even though you don't see it right now, is just standard practice. As Watchman Nee calls it, it's the normal Christian life, as normal as breathing. Why? Because everything is supernatural. Everything that exists is because of God anyways. So why can't we trust Him for miracles? Everything that was created comes out of that which is unseen. And then finally, the writer of Hebrews ends here in Hebrews 11.32 by saying, and what more shall we say? If you read this whole passage, I really went through that quickly, but if you read it, uh, he really goes into situation after situation after situation. But in Hebrews 11.32, he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. It's, what I love about that is that it shows us that sometimes God does a miracle by delivering us from trouble. Other times God does a miracle by sustaining us through trouble. He doesn't always take you out. He sometimes takes you through. And if we lose our life, we get the martyr's reward in heaven anyways. So it's just win-win. Verse 39, and all these, all these people, they did all of these things. Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Not yet. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, there's still, whatever we have received in this life from God, there's still so much more. Most of it still lies ahead. Most of it we'll still have when God redeems the earth and comes again and restores a new heaven and a new earth like we see in the book of Revelation 21 and 22. That's what we get to experience. The new heaven and the new earth isn't here yet. And so a lot of people don't understand, but I thought, they were, I thought they had faith. Why didn't they receive what was promised? But this final verse simply means that all those who had faith have not yet seen the final completion of God's promise because apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, God is waiting for us. He is waiting for all the Christians that are still yet to believe and to walk in his ways. Before, as we finish our race, then he will do uh, what he has promised in the final. So, so people say, you know, this world has got chaos and crime and murder and suffering and, and God isn't doing anything about it. And the answer is he is and he's still going to. We're not at the end of the story yet. We're only halfway. 
God is going to restore all things. And there will be a time where God, the scriptures say, will wipe away all of our tears. It still lies ahead for everyone. So you might be asking, what do all those people who had faith, what are they doing right now? If they're still waiting for the completion of the promise, what are they doing? Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that which clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is what they're doing. All those that went before us, Abraham and, and Moses and, and, and Joseph and Joshua and, and, and all the, 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 the believers of yesteryear, it's like they finished their race and they circled back round and they are cheering you and I on. That's what they're doing. They're cheering all of us on and as we complete our race, when the time is complete, God will complete his promise towards all of us. And so we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses watching you run your race. And so the scripture encourages us because we're a part of a story so much bigger than ourselves, because we are being cheered on by, by all those who had faith in the past, let's not waste our lives. But instead, let's lay, away, lay aside every weight, not just every sin. He says every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. But let's lay aside literally anything that keeps us from running this race with endurance. And let's persevere. Let's press on. Let's have faith all the way across the finish line. Let's finish strong in this life that we're called to, to live and this race that we're called to run, knowing that God is for us, that we are called, that we are led, and that we will see the impossible come to pass. So I want to encourage you this morning. This is our opportunity to run. This is our opportunity to give our best. And we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses from the Old Testament, the New Testament, the martyrs of the early church, the people that gave up everything to follow Jesus. They're all cheering us on and watching us as we run our race here at Anchor Church Joburg. We're being cheered on. So this morning, I want to encourage you, consider Jesus and believe. Consider him and believe and allow that belief to grow and to overtake every area of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning.